and welcome to the Cross Trek World Ministry School of the Bible. This is Brad Hunt. I am the founder and president of Cross Trek World Ministries, and this is a new podcast for me. Uh, there has been requests for me to do some uh, audio teaching, and so I have uh, decided to put out a regular podcast, and I'm going to start by teaching on the book of Romans. And uh, before we begin, let's just take a moment and ask the Lord to guide all of this. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be together. I thank you for everyone who will listen to your word, and I pray that your spirit would enlighten our hearts and our minds and make this something that is a long-standing, uh, uplifting uh, vehicle to help people learn the truth of God's Word. Amen. Well, this is episode one, and we are starting in chapter one of the book of Romans. And so you can take your Bibles and turn there. I will be using the New International Version uh, simply because of its readability, and it's still uh, considered uh, accurate in the way that it uh, renders the original languages. So this is uh, how I will approach it. I will read some verses. I will make comments on them. Uh, I will also provide for you uh, an email address as well as a website where you can ask questions or make comments on anything that is taught. And I will tr do my best to either address it in a podcast or to... Um, send you an email in return so that uh, we can be helpful uh, in any way possible. But beginning in Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 1, <clears throat> the scripture says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit, was anointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So these first seven verses uh, act as an introduction from Paul. Uh, let me also make this statement that I believe the scripture which says uh, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, correction, and so on. So I am a firm believer in the infallibility and inerrancy of the word of God. Uh, do I believe that reprinting and copying of it can uh, result in certain mistakes and uh, small things like that? Absolutely. Uh, that would be expected, but certainly no uh, doctrinal and truth 
will be compromised because the Holy Spirit is the author of the scripture and he, through Paul, uh, dictated this letter to the Roman Christians and he begins with giving his credentials, if you will, because, uh, and, and we all know the story of Paul, his uh, name before he was known as Paul was Saul from the city of Tarsus. And uh, before he knew Jesus Christ, he was an opponent of the gospel back when it was known as the way. And uh, he was actually complicit in the murder of one of the first deacons named Stephen. He held the coats for all the people who were stoning Stephen after he gave his testimony to the Sanhedrin and uh, confronted them with the truth. Then all the Sanhedrin and the leaders charged at uh, Stephen, hauled him outside the city, and began stoning him to death. And Paul was a very young man at the time, and he decided to uh, partake in this by holding the coats for those who were uh, the ones that would stone uh, Stephen. So Paul initially opposed the church. Later on, of course, as he was traveling to a city to arrest uh, people who followed the way, uh, the Lord Jesus met him and uh, testified to him. And Paul uh, surrendered his life to Jesus and made him his Lord. Of course, he went to the neighboring town where Ananias came, laid his hands on him. He received his sight because he had been blind for a few days. And Paul became a powerful advocate for the gospel. And as we see in this first part of the book uh, of Romans, we see that Paul became a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and his calling from God was to be an apostle. And he was set apart as an apostle for the gospel of God uh, to preach it amongst the, all the Gentiles. And uh, this gospel had been predicted or even promised beforehand by the Lord through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, which, of course, were the Old Testament prophets and so on. So Paul uh, began this ministry actually after several years of being taught by the Lord and being called aside to learn some things uh, about his new position in Jesus Christ and what his ministry was going to be. He uh, finally uh, went to um, Antioch uh, with, and he met a uh, brother by the name of Barnabas, and he ministered in Antioch for some time. And while he and Barnabas were there, the Lord called him and Barnabas uh, to a mission uh, of spreading the gospel uh, amongst the Gentiles. So, Paul began doing that, and then, uh, but he had never made it to Rome. That was his desire to get to Rome, but uh, he had always been prevented. So uh, he wrote this letter when he was incarcerated. Um, uh, his uh, mission journey led him to a point where he was arrested on several occasions, actually. And uh, while he was in prison, uh, probably under house arrest and chained to a Roman 
soldier, uh, he wrote or dictated his letters that we know as the different epistles in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. He dictated probably all of them and only signed uh, one that we're aware of um, with his own hand. But so normally he would dictate uh, his letter to uh, someone who would write it down. And the same would be the case for this letter. And uh, he mentioned that uh, this gospel from God, and that's something I want to emphasize, the gospel that we preach, which we find in the New Testament, is not a man-made message. It is a message that was revealed to man from God. And it was a message that is completely different than the way men think. That's why uh, it is so important for us to preach the gospel that we find revealed in the scriptures, because that is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe it. So anyway, Paul was called by the Lord Jesus Christ to be an apostle. He was set apart to be uh a preacher of the gospel of God, and this uh, this gospel, this message that has saving power, uh, came from heaven. It was promised by the Father back in the Old Testament, and uh, when it uh, when it came, it uh, was all about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was completely man and completely God. Jesus, before he was known as Jesus from Nazareth, was the eternal word of God. Uh, John, the apostle, addresses that in his gospel. Uh, But Jesus was known as the word. And of course, John said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Uh, And we beheld his glory, the glory uh, of the only begotten Uh, full of grace and truth. So the apostles are uh, eyewitnesses of the glory of the eternal second member of the Godhead, uh, who was known as the Word of God before uh, he was given a body. And he came in the flesh. He was born of the Virgin Mary. uh, And that's a a f- fantastic miracle that God uh, provided. And there are some Bible teachers who have studied the genetics of the incarnation, and it's fascinating to um, learn how the scripture describes the genetic uh, creation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in the in the Psalms, um, it is said that, uh, uh, you know, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. So the father uh, prepared a body for his son uh, or the second member of the triune Godhead to inhabit. And uh, this body was conceived in the womb of Uh, the Virgin Mary, who was a young teenager at the time, and she never knew a man. Of course, you can find that in the scripture. 
and uh, she became pregnant because the Holy Spirit uh, overshadowed her and uh, provided the necessary information for her uh, genetics so that a conception took place in her womb. And uh, she grew a human baby that was uh, the home for the spirit of the Lord Jesus, or the soul, if you will, of the Lord Jesus. And he was born as a baby. He uh, grew up as a human being, and uh, he started his uh, ministry, uh, which God had called him to before uh, the creation of the world. He began his ministry at the age of about 30 years old, and uh, of course he started by calling his um, disciples and and so on. But uh, Paul became a an apostle of this story, uh, actually this historical account. He personally met the Lord Jesus, uh, of course, on the road to Damascus. And uh, that is where he, you know, was knocked off his horse. He went into the neighboring town. He stayed there until Ananias came and prayed for him. And that began his spiritual journey And now he is in the midst of his ministry to the Gentile world, and he hasn't been able to come to Rome yet, but the Holy Spirit inspired him to write this letter. And uh, Jesus was fully human. He was a descendant of David, uh, genetically, and he was declared to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, through the Holy Spirit. And uh, these things were witnessed by many, many people, and uh, they are eyewitnesses to it. They handled him. They uh, touched him. They ate meals with him. They traveled with him. So Jesus and the gospel about him is uh, authenticated by these witnesses, and they believed it to the point that every one of the apostles gave their lives uh, uh, because they stood firm uh, in their belief in the Lord Jesus. And Paul also gave his life uh, because he was so convinced of this gospel. So, uh, through the Lord Jesus, you see in verse 5 here, uh, Paul and his traveling companions received grace and apostleship. Now, Paul is the only one that we're aware of in his traveling companions that was called to be an apostle, but, and his apostleship was to the Gentile world. If you recall, uh, the scripture teaches that Peter became the apostle to the Jewish or Hebrew world, but um, Paul specifically was called to the Gentiles. And the purpose that Jesus called Paul as the the apostle to the Gentiles, was so that he could uh, win converts and they would become obedient through faith to the gospel in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, And that they would in turn belong to the Lord Jesus. And so Paul was explaining all of this. And of course, then he gave Uh, a a typical greeting to those in Rome uh, called to be God's holy people. Uh, 
and that's a that's a whole nother a whole nother uh, teaching is being set apart as holy people, and I may allude to that, those things at times, but right now we're just going to keep moving. Paul said, "Grace and peace to you from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ." And then he goes into his thankfulness for this church uh, because they had a reputation throughout the Christian world. And, you know, at that time, you wouldn't have thought of it as a Christian world, but the gospel was spreading all over the known world and churches were being established. And the Roman church was known for its faith. And so Paul said that I want you to know that I constantly remember you in my prayers and I have heard such good things about you that uh, I can't wait to see you because he wanted to impart a spiritual gift to them and actually he wanted a mutual exchange of ministry. And, And this alludes to the fact that Every child of God has received a gift of the Holy Spirit. When we are saved, and we'll talk about this in the 12th chapter of Romans, that every child of God receives a spiritual gift when they are born again. And so they have something that is supernatural, if you will, uh, implanted in their uh, spirit uh, that motivates them in their service and ministry to the Lord. And so when the the saints get together, then there are all kinds of spiritual gifts that interact through the people of God, and we minister to each other, and we build each other up. So that's what Paul was looking forward to. He was looking forward to getting together with these saints and uh, exchanging, if you will, spiritual gifts. Uh, it's not really like we would exchange gifts at Christmas time or something like that, but in a way, uh, we are. We are we are manifesting what God has placed inside of us to our brothers and sisters, and the Holy Spirit works through us to build up other believers. Paul, of course, says that he had planned many times to come to them, but he was prevented uh, from doing so until that time. And, and partly one of the reasons he wanted to come there is because there were Gentiles in Rome that he wanted to reach for the gospel. He wanted people to hear the gospel there so that they could be saved. In fact, if you look at verse 14 of chapter 1, you'll see that Paul had this sense of obligation to the Gentiles, whether they were Greeks or non-Greeks. I tend to look at this as cultured and uncultured, um, and both to wise and foolish. So in other words, to people who perhaps had an education, and the foolish might be people who were more simple, uh, perhaps people that knew nothing or very little of morals, and they, they just didn't understand. So Paul had this obligation to the entire Gentile world, no matter how they had been raised. And he was eager to preach to them in Rome. And then, of course, his famous uh, scripture, verse 16, where he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it, the gospel from God, is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, 
than to the Gentile. Let me make a couple of comments here. First of all, the gospel, the message from God is has power inherent in it so that when a person puts faith in it, God somehow provides a miracle and the listener, the believer, if you will, is transformed in their spirit, that, that which was dead in them, their spirit. Because God said at the very beginning to Adam, he said, the day that you eat from this tree that I've told you not to, you will surely die. Well, we all know that, they, that Adam and Eve didn't drop dead immediately, but what died immediately in them was their spirit. The spirit of God left them. And so they no longer uh, had uh, the spirit of God in them. They were, you know, lost and they were separated from God. Well, once a person puts faith in this gospel from God, then God gives them brand new birth and his spirit enters them again. And of course, I know that uh, the message of the Holy Spirit can be very uh, controversial and perhaps I'm certain at some point during this uh, prolonged podcast series, we'll address that. But right now, I just want to plant that little seed for you. Uh, but anyway, so Paul said uh, that this message, this gospel comes to uh, the world so people can be rescued from the death that they experienced due to sin. And I want you to notice that he said, first it came to the Jews. And you might be puzzled as to why that's important, because God made a promise to come to the Jews first with his Messiah. And if you will recall, Jesus entered Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. That was the fulfillment of a prophecy that Zechariah made that the, the Messiah, the king, the king, the son of David, that every Jew was waiting for, those that believed their upbringing and the teaching of the prophets, they were waiting for the Messiah to come and free them from their enemies. And so Jesus entered Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey, which was in complete fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy, and all the people around him were, uh, were crying out, uh, Hosanna to the son of David, which which everyone knew they were declaring him as the descendant of David that God told them was coming. And so this was the king that God was sending, and they were excited. And of course, we know the Pharisees and many of those who did not believe and tried to stop it. But Jesus came into Jerusalem and presented himself as their Messiah. So he came first to the Jew. The Jews did not receive him. And therefore, he took the gospel to the Gentiles. And the Jews were hardened. We'll find that in this uh, book of Romans as well, that, that the Jews are suffering spiritual blindness as a judgment for not receiving the Lord Jesus the first time he came into Jerusalem on the foal of that donkey. And so, but that gave 
uh, God the right and the opportunity to turn away from the Jew and go to the Gentile with this gospel so that all the Gentiles who were appointed for rescue, salvation, if you will, uh, that they could be brought into the church. By the way, the church is made up predominantly of Gentiles. Uh, and that's a different teaching altogether. Uh, and so in this gospel, you'll see in verse 17 of Romans chapter 1, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Okay, this is the crux of the matter when it comes to why a man needs to be saved, what is saved when he puts faith in Jesus Christ, and a man needs to be saved from his sin. The reason being is because the wages of sin is death. And therefore, every human being on the face of this earth who has ever lived from Adam onward, we all struggle with a sinful nature. And this was passed on to us by Adam. And Jesus came, and I'm just going to insert this here for uh, just kind of a marker so that you can remember this. Jesus came as the second Adam, whereas the first Adam plunged the entire human race into the problem and penalty of sin, Jesus came and did not sin, and by putting faith in him, we now are made brand new, given the right to become the child of God. You find that in the Gospels. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, in that same part of scripture, Jesus said that whoever believes would receive the right to become the child of God. And, uh, and so every one of us who puts faith in Jesus is given the right, and we become children of God of God. And this isn't because of how we behaved. It's not because of how we were born. It has nothing to do with our birthright. It has nothing to do with how we live after we're saved. It has everything to do with believing in Jesus and receiving from him righteousness that was passed on to us, just like sin was passed on from uh, Adam, righteousness was passed on from the Lord Jesus. So just as every human being who uh, was born uh, of the seed of Abraham, uh, not Abraham, forgive me, of Adam, uh, every child of God who was uh, born again from above, as Jesus talked to Nicodemus about, then we receive his righteousness, and now we are declared just before God, just meaning innocent, without uh, you know fault, all of our sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future sins, and this is corroborated in the Bible, and uh, and now there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. A powerful truth that we'll go over in the Book of Romans, but anyway. Uh, so this righteousness from God is what the gospel is all about. 
It tells people how they can become righteous in God's sight. Before the gospel, the only way a person could uh, a person could become righteous in God's sight was by keeping his law without error. The problem is no one could do that. Uh, Moses himself said when he was teaching this law to the Jews, he said, the man who does these things will live by them. In other words, he will find eternal life. He'll be declared righteous. He will be just before God if he keeps this law and does never and never breaks it. See, and this is what people don't understand. They don't understand that the only way to be righteous before God is to be perfect before God, and none of us can be perfect. Just like the scripture says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So anyway, that's why Romans is so important. It teaches us that we can become righteous before God through faith, not by our efforts, but by trusting that what Jesus did for us and what God has told us is all true. And so by putting our faith in the Lord Jesus and accepting him as our Messiah, as the one who died in our place, who paid for our sin, now we can be righteous in the presence of God, perfect, if you will, and that is corroborated in the book of Hebrews. Um, we are perfect forever, the author to the Hebrews says, while we are being made holy. So by receiving the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we become righteous perfect, if you will, before God, not by anything we've done, but because Jesus did it, and when we put faith in him, his righteousness flows to us, and we uh, basically are covered by his righteousness. So now we have to deal with this issue of sin. And uh, the problem that Paul, as well as every preacher of the gospel, faces is that most people don't consider themselves terrible sinners. They will say, well, yeah, everybody makes mistakes. Yeah, we're only human. And, and whatever excuse you've heard or whatever excuse you've given is uh, an attempt to explain away our sinfulness. And uh, because no one wants to take responsibility for their sin. Um, and if we are willing to take certain amount of responsibility, we'll say, it's not that bad. I'm not as bad as my neighbor. I'm not bad as my brother-in-law. I'm not bad as, my, as bad as my sister. And so we find ways of thinking that God should give us a pass because we're not that bad. So that's why Paul has to start with dealing with humanity and exposing the sinfulness that resides in, frankly, all levels, whether we were brought up in church, 
whether we were not brought up in church, um, you know, and, and whatever our beliefs are, uh, all of us have sinned and we need to know that. So in verse 18 of chapter one, Paul begins by saying the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. And if you are anything like every other human being, there are parts of you right now that are coming up with excuses. Uh, that's our nature. Our nature is to jump in and say, well, well, but, you know, you know, just a minute. I'm not, I'm not suppressing the truth about God. I believe in God. And uh, you may recall that the Apostle James said in his letter, the, you know, book of James, he said, even the demons believe in God. Uh, so the demons believe in God and they tremble, but obviously they are not righteous or perfect before God. So believing in God with your mind is not uh, salvation. It, uh, it's a good pointer, but you know what? If, if we miss salvation by a mile or by an inch, we're still a lost. And, uh, and, and the Bible says in this letter to the Romans that the wages of sin is death. And, and you say, well, but I'm not as bad as those bad sinners that are, are, are in prison or are in jail or, or, or criminals and things like that. It doesn't matter because what we're going to find in uh, the book of Romans is that if we break one of the least of God's laws, we are guilty of breaking all of it. That's how God views it. We either break none of it or we break a little bit of it or a lot of it. And it doesn't matter because once we break it, we are guilty of breaking it and we incur the penalty for breaking it. Um, you say, well, God's not fair. Well, the Bible also teaches or deals with that in this uh, letter to the Romans. And, uh, and let me just insert this where Paul said, uh, does the pot have the right to say to the potter, why have you made me like this? And, and that's something that we have to understand is that God is our creator and you know, we can offer all the excuses we want, but since he is the one who has established the laws, then his law is final. Now you say, well, but then God doesn't love us. Well, that's not true. The very fact that he sent Jesus to deal with our sin by suffering and dying in our place proves that he loves us. That's why John said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So God uh, is angry at sin. In fact, there's a part in the scripture where, where the Bible says that God is angry at sinners. And sinners are people who practice sin willfully and 
intent with intent. They continue practicing it because that's what they want to do. And, uh, and God hates that. He doesn't hate people. He died to save people, but he is angry at sin and at sinners. And we have to understand that. And so his wrath is being revealed from heaven against all ungodlessness. Uh, forgive me, all godlessness and wickedness of people, watch this, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know what they're doing. They don't want to hear the truth of the gospel. They don't want to hear the truth written by the apostles. They don't want to hear that because then they have to give an account. But they suppress that truth by their own wickedness. And you know what? What may be known about God is plain to them. I don't care how many people have been raised outside the church, even testimonies of people who have met remote uh, groups of people as far out as you can imagine, they all have this sense of the need to worship a supernatural being. They have this sense and they all have gods, if you will. So there is something in man that knows there is a supernatural being that they need to correspond with. God has put it in us. And so we, we know that he is real. Uh, God has made it plain to us. Verse 19, for since the creation of the world, and you know this is why this is why people who refuse to believe in God and people who refuse to believe in creation and and people who who uh, you know turn away from biblical uh, explanation of the beginnings of our world they do that so they don't have to be accountable to a creator they do it so that they can be rebellious and go their own way. Because the Bible says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. So that, here we go, people are without excuse. Now, Paul's going to be dealing with different categories of people in the following verses one of them being the religious person whereas some people believe that if they are religious that they have a a leg up if you will or a you know they 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 they've got an advantage over the person who doesn't go to church well that's not true not by any means for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god so what may be known about God is plain to all mankind because God has made it plain. He hasn't, he hasn't made it so complex that we, we don't get it. Mankind has a sense inside that there is a God. And I, I, have, I would venture a wager, if you will, with anyone out there that even the people who claim to not believe in God 
probably have this fear inside. What if I'm wrong? You know, and oftentimes you can tell that people still have a belief in God because when a crisis comes and a crisis perhaps in the life of someone that we deeply love, even the atheist will seek for someone to pray. Now, not all. There might be some who are so rebellious and their heart is so hard that they refuse to go that route. Um, And that is sad because that person has been given every opportunity by the Lord to put their faith in his salvation, which is through Jesus Christ and the gospel about him. He has provided it for all men. And if they won't receive it, then unfortunately their blood is on their own hands, which is is very difficult. So anyway, God has placed in mankind a some type of a an understanding that there is a God, and by looking at what has been created, uh, it's actually quite easy to uh, discern that an intelligence designed this. Probably my favorite example, the one that always comes to mind when I'm thinking about this, is the idea that plants absorb carbon dioxide, which mankind, and I believe all living creatures, breathe out. And by the way, if our world was filled with carbon dioxide, we would eventually die because we need oxygen. And so isn't it amazing that plants absorb carbon dioxide and emit oxygen and we absorb oxygen and emit carbon dioxide. And it has, it has worked for thousands of years and no one that I'm aware of who lives outside, walks outside, has access to the oxygen that is produced by this world, no one is, has dropped dead because they have nothing to breathe. God has faithfully provided oxygen to us through his creation, and they absorb the poison that we exhale, and they use it. The plants all use it. And then they put out what we need, and we use what God provided for us. That speaks to intelligent design right there. Uh, so anyway, these are things that if people are willing to look at it, they can't deny it. But in order to keep from having to be accountable, wicked people suppress that truth and turn away to foolishness. And that's where Paul uh, goes to next. He said in verse 21, for although they, mankind, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. And that's exactly what happened. They knew God. They they knew that he was their creator. Adam passed that on to all of his, uh, you know, his offspring and to their offspring and to their offspring. Uh, People knew that God was their creator, but they became more sinful because that nature was given to us 
uh, by Adam and Eve when they broke God's command. It just it got into our nature. And part of it is the curse that God placed on the earth and upon us when he said, look, if you, if you eat of this tree, you're going to die on that day. So the Spirit of God left man, and after 900 years, uh, Adam's body succumbed to death. Uh, he decayed, he aged, got sick, died. So he did die. Uh, so what God said did happen, and that comes to all of us. Uh, there's a saying in the United States that the only things that are certain are death and taxes. And it's kind of a joke here, but we all know that death is true. None of us can escape death unless the Lord Jesus returns before we die. So uh, in verse 21, uh, Paul goes on to say that mankind in their thinking became worthless or futile. Uh, so rather than retaining the knowledge of God in our minds as a race, we turned to ridiculous thoughts and thought processes. Uh, for example, the Israelites, when, when Moses was up in the mountain longer than they thought he should be, they made themselves a golden calf. And the God that they had been following opened the Red Sea for them the God that they had been following caused the Red Sea to come back over the Egyptians and destroy their entire army. The God that they had been following would give them enough quail and meat to eat for a month and water to uh, satisfy the thirst of millions of people plus their, um, plus their livestock. So these miracles upon miracles upon miracles were done by a supernatural being, and they insulted him by creating an image of a bull and said, Israel, this is your God who led you out of Egypt. And that uh, Paul talks about that a little later in this chapter, how that because of our foolish, our, our, our futile, our worthless thinking, and our foolish, wicked heart, <clears throat> as a result of turning to foolish thoughts and as a result of uh, refusing to retain the knowledge of God, our hearts, our discerning dies. And so we claim to be wise in verse 22. We claim to be so wise and enlightened, but we end up becoming absolute fools things that should be understood as a matter of common sense become downright ridiculous. Some of the things that are happening in the United States are absolutely ridiculous that people would dare begin to identify as animals, as birds, as a different gender than they were born. Uh, th they've become fools. They look at themselves in the mirror, knowing exactly what they see. They decide to declare themselves something else. And it's absurd. And frankly, it makes fools out of us. So mankind, sinful man, uh, claims to be wise. We become fools and we exchange the glory of our creator, the immortal God who does not die, who never dies. 
We exchange that glory for images that we make. And in, in uh, Paul's day, they were making idols out of uh, silver and gold. And they made these idols to look like a, a human being. They made them to look like birds, animals, and reptiles. So the immortal God, who is glorious, who created everything we see, they degraded him by alluding to anyone or anything divine as being nothing more than an image uh, that looks like a poor representation of a human uh, or even looks like a bird, an animal, a reptile. That's an insult. That's insulting to our creator. Now, because of that rebellion, because of that denial of God, verse 24, our judgment as a race ultimately now it's not that god doesn't try to you know discipline us as children and bring us back to him but because we are so intent as a race on sinning god finally gives us over in our sinful desires uh to sexual impurity for the degrading of our bodies with one another and people who are sexually immoral don't appreciate this. Uh, and in fact, sometimes if we're tempted into sexual immorality, we don't appreciate this. And even though I'm taught the truth, I often don't appreciate this. But Paul teaches in his other letters that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are temples of the living God. Our bodies are. In fact, Paul teaches that every sin that a man commits outside the body is bad enough. But when we sin sexually, we sin against our own body and we degrade it if we are involved in degrading things. I mean, there, sex is not wrong. God made it. And God made it, I believe, to be enjoyed. And, and Hebrews tells us that the marriage bed is undefiled. So people who are married, and you go to uh, the Song of Solomon, and you will see a passionate sexual love story between a man and his wife. Uh, and God created us that way to, you know, reproduce, to have children, to enjoy each other's body as husband and wife, and the two become one flesh. All of this is in the Bible. So, so sex is not wrong. Sex is a gift that God has given to man, but sexual immorality is wrong. And sexual immorality is everything other than God designed our bodies to be involved in. And he went through a list of those in the Old Testament. He also repeats many of those things through the apostles in the New Testament. And, um, and some of them are bestiality. Some of them are, you know, having sex with very close family members, uh, having sex with mothers, having sex with fathers, aunts, uncles, things like this. Um, bestiality. Uh, all of these things are wrong. Homosexuality, lesbianism, all of these things God says are not how he created us to interact with each other. He said, you know, um, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. The two will become one flesh. And yet, 
in the New Testament, there are many um, men that remain single, and that's not wrong either. In fact, Paul said that's actually better when it comes to a life devoted to the Lord. So, so singleness is not wrong. Marriage is not wrong. Sexual immorality is wrong. And it is committed against our own bodies, and it uh, degrades our bodies and the person we are involved with. We are degrading our body with their body. And, and so in verse 25, Paul said that uh, mankind exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So that's what man, because he did not want to live according to God's truth, he exchanged that truth about God for a lie so that he could live the way he wanted. He suppresses the truth so that he can live the way he wants. And because of this, God also gives man over to shameful lusts. You see, you say, well, I mean, can it get worse? Well, according to God, it can. He says, even their women exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Lesbianism is not a choice. Lesbianism is a judgment. Lesbianism is something that, that God gives a rebellious race over to, and it becomes a judgment. It is uh, shameful. It, uh, it does not glorify the, the women. It degrades the women. Uh, then in verse 27, Paul says, In the same way as these women... Men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Now, if you ever wondered whether uh, homosexual men have a strong lust or passion for each other, the Bible says right here, they do. They lust after each other the way that a man would desire a woman. These men end up desiring each other. And But look at what God says, because this is a judgment. This is not a choice. It's a judgment that falls on an, a race. You say, does that mean that these men and women can't be free from this? Absolutely, they can be free from this. They simply need to come to Jesus, like all of us who sin, and confess it to God, and to ask for his forgiveness, and then to abandon it, you know? You say, well, what if I fall into it again? Then you come to God for forgiveness. You uh, turn away from it again, and you continue walking with the Lord. And, uh, and, and the longer that we you know, walk with the Lord, then this becomes less and less, um, I guess, uh, of a strong desire. God helps us get victory over it. You know. But anyway, so men abandoned the natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another, and they committed shameful acts with other men. Sodom and Gomorrah, prime example. And they received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as mankind, they, did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they would do what they what ought not to be done. 
This might sound a little bit mild, but, you know, Paul said that the Holy Spirit said in the last days terrible times would come, and I believe we're there. Men would be lovers of themselves, and, and he goes down this entire list of how the wickedness of mankind will be expressed in our world, and this list uh, is a lot like that one. Paul says that when God gives us over to a depraved mind because we refuse to retain the knowledge of him in our own minds, he gives us over to a depraved mind. It's our judgment. And we end up doing what ought not to be done. There are things that should not be done. And men become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. We get full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. We gossip, we slander, we hate God, we're insolent, we're arrogant, we're boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents, no respect for family members. They have no understanding. They have no fidelity. They're not faithful to their spouses. Uh, no love, no mercy. And although they know, and here's, here's something that's very important, my brothers. Although people have this sense inside that God's righteous decree against these things is that we deserve death by continuing to practice them. When we're this rebellious, we not only continue to do these things, but we end up approving of others who practice them. We end up encouraging them to do just what we're doing. So that's chapter one, and that's a heavy chapter. That sets us up, frankly, it sets us up for the good news that's coming. And you, you might be ready for some good news right now, and, and we're going to need it. But this is episode one, this is chapter one in the book of Romans, and this is the state of mankind. And man needs to be saved from his sin because our sin is killing us. Our sin is degrading us. Our sin is demoralizing us. Our sin is making us a mockery in the spiritual world and not a race to be respected. God bless you, my brothers. In the next podcast, we'll enter Romans chapter 2. God be with you, and I look forward to seeing you. Bye-bye.